Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Raj. For those of you who don't know me, it's great to have guests here this morning, visitors. Um, if, you're, if you are a visitor here this morning, you are very, very, very welcome. So, happy Easter! Yeah. Woo! Um, don't be scared, the angel said. This tomb, this is a tomb and tombs are for dead people. Jesus isn't dead anymore. He's alive again. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you might be thinking, uh-huh, really? Really? But please bear with me for the next 20 minutes or so. Maybe, maybe this Jesus this morning might come alive in you today as he did with me over 20 years ago. Over the last half year, we've been looking, 25 weeks, we've been looking uh, in detail at the life and words and actions and miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And today, today, we end the series. This is good punch and, this is good punch and Judy, by the way. We end the series. But it's okay, Smile. Cheer, because we end it with a bang. Today we end it with a bang. Today we end it with a showdown. We end it with the resurrection of Jesus. Easter Sunday. That you heard Jesh read about earlier in the service. As Andrew Wilson, a a Bible writer and church leader, puts it, resurrection, folks, is the victory parade as Jesus the risen champion comes out of his tomb fully alive to the amazement of earth and to the applause of all of heaven. That's an amazing quote. That's an amazing celebration. And really, that's what I want to summarize for us all this morning. Um, um, Listen, if you don't trust and cherish God in Jesus, let me tell you something. He cherishes and adores you. He does. That's a reality. And somehow, and somehow, his startling life, his horrific death that we heard Helen kind of speak about in a poem, and his miraculous resurrection, all of which you might have problems with, are in themselves the very clues, the signs, if you like, of his passion, his affection for you, that it is real. You could could encounter the risen Lord Jesus. This morning, question, what would that look like? So three things this morning, a kind of summary, if you like, of the last 25 weeks. We're going to do three things. Who is Jesus? Did he really rise from the dead? And finally, so what? Who cares? What's that got to do with me? Three things. So firstly, who is Jesus? Now, when you talk to most people about religion, they'll probably describe it as a way to heaven or a a, a religious manual for living life well. But I remember when I came, uh, I remember coming to the realization that uh, at at, at the very young age of 23, only about five years ago, as as a 25 year old, 23 year old guy approaching the end of medical school trying to work out life after university in the midst of tragic loss on my part, that Christianity was somehow different. It wasn't like other faiths or worldviews or beliefs uh, that I'd come across before. It was totally different. What do I mean by that? Well, when you look at 
what Christians believe rather than a heavenly rule book. The Christian faith is primarily a relationship with God himself, Jesus Christ. Now that might puzzle some of you a little bit because when you first look at Jesus, when you kind of historically look at Jesus, he wasn't a particularly eye-catching guy. Born in the back, born in a back of beyond town in Palestine to a poor a teenage unmarried mum, a man who'd never travelled more than a few hundred miles from his home, never had political office, never wrote a book, never married, never had sex, never attended university or college, never won even Israel's Got Talent. <laughs> but, and a, a man actually who eventually was executed as a dishonoured, disgraced Christ, uh, criminal, Yet somehow this Jesus is the Christ at the very centre of Christianity. A historical figure who easily ranks number one as the most influential man to have ever walked the earth. That is an uncontroversial statement. Google it. His teaching, this Jesus was amazing. He was amazing. His teaching was amazing. All around the world, Jesus' wise sayings have changed the face of history, even today. They've inspired men and women like Martin Luther King Jr., Bishop Desmond Tutu, Mother Teresa, Florence Nightingale, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia books, Tolkien, who wrote the Lord of the Rings books, Eric Liddell, a Chariots of Fire guy. He, he influenced these guys to fight for injustice and live lives that enrich our world today. As uh, Harvard professor Harvey Cox put it, the words of Jesus in the most famous speech ever, still rated as the most influential speech ever, the Sermon on the Mount, are, most, are the most luminous, most quoted, most analysed, most contested, most influential, influential moral and religious discourse in all of human history. This may sound like an overstatement, he says, but it isn't. Jesus was an amazing guy. Jesus was an amazing teacher, clearly, but Jesus was also amazing in terms of his character. He was a phenomenal man. Throughout the Bible, we see that Jesus never sinned. Throughout the Bible, it's written like that. For three years of his life, he had religious Jewish leaders, Roman officials, and lots of other sceptical onlookers continuously trying to trip him up in every way. But you know what? They never could. Even to the very end, as he stood in front of the Roman governor facing execution, as, as he stood right in, in front of Pontius Pilate, um, in, in, in fact, as he was doing that, they were flabbergasted by his love and kindness and compassion. They couldn't trip him up, even then. Name me one other person that you know who others claim to be like that. Jesus' character was awesome. His miracles were amazing too. We read about that throughout the Gospels, showing the compassionate depths of God's love. Miraculous healing was central to the earthly ministry of Jesus. As we read the Gospels, never once did anyone attempt to deny that he turned water into wine, healed lepers, walked on water, raised the dead, 
feed 5,000 plus women and children with a kid's lunchbox. As Oxford professor Graham Twelfthry, who once again has studied this uh, uh, much more than I have, however reluctantly, the vast majority of students of the historical Jesus confirm that Jesus performed mighty works. The single most time-consuming aspect of Jesus' public mission was the performing of miracles. Any critical reinstruction of the historical Jesus must not only include, but also indeed emphasize, underline that he was a most powerful and prolific miracle worker. That's what people saw. Jesus healed lots of people. And you know what? He was unique in doing so. That's a fact. But probably the most amazing thing about Jesus was his most controversial claim. What was that? Jesus claimed that he was God. He said in John 14, 6, I am the only way to a relationship with God. There is no other way. Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the only one who can satisfy your needs forever. Nothing else will work. He said in John 10, I and the Father are one. Jesus said in John 14, 9, I am God. He said in John 17, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He said, one day I'll come and judge the heavens and the earth, the living from the dead. All of you, all of us. Surely this was a mad guy. A fraudster, an evil, horrible man to say these things. Who would say things like that if they weren't true? If you, don't want to, if you don't want to believe the Bible, this is what the great philosopher Bono from Youth to U2 said. He said, I can't believe the growth of the church and what this man said if it wasn't real. You either must take Jesus as a complete nutter or he was what he said he was, the Son of God. But this wasn't the gap. But this wasn't. A man who behaved like a nutter, was it? Look at his life. He wasn't really a mad guy, a fraudster, or even a horrible man. As, one, as someone summarized the whole of his life, no one has ever discovered the words Jesus ought to have said or, did, or the deed he ought to have done. Nothing he does falls short. In fact, he is always surprising you, always taking your breath away, because he's better than you can imagine. That's how many people have viewed Jesus historically and, in, and how he's depicted in, in, in the Gospels. Jesus' life was amazing. His teaching was amazing. His compassion and miraculous healing was amazing. He claimed to be God come to us. And Easter, this Sunday, is the great pinnacle of this God-man's rescue mission for you and for me. There's some people here this morning who God wants them to know that. Not just here, but here. Secondly, did he really rise from the dead? Because that is the ultimate question. If he didn't, let's just all go home. It's the ultimate question. Is there more to this Sunday than bunny rabbits and chocolate buns and 
and uh, sorry, and uh, hot cross buns and cho- and and chocolate. What, by the way, they're also gluten-free. You forgot that? No, they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> that was for the benefit of Ben, wherever you are. Uh, can rational people believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I was brought up in a Hindu family uh, with mum and dad and my brother Robin. Uh, I was used to listening to all sorts of mind-boggling stories from mum uh, of gods with more than two hands, two arms, and an elephant's head riding into battle on a rat. And to my mind, just like these great stories that kept me up all night thinking, oh, wow, the story of the resurrection, if you like, was just another fairy tale. Miracles don't happen, do they? As a young man training to be a GP, I couldn't contemplate the supernatural. They weren't in my textbooks. But there was a problem. There was a problem as I started to grow up and think. A great problem for me. If the resurrection was a miracle and miracles don't happen, how was I to explain two undeniable historical facts? That Jesus definitely died on the cross and three days later, Jesus was definitely seen alive by hundreds and hundreds of people. Anyone who's looked into this with any intellectual integrity wouldn't, couldn't disagree with those facts. That was a problem for me. Jesus died, Jesus reappeared. Two thoughts quickly about how I grappled with this. Firstly, I thought the Bible accounts of the resurrection, this is what my understanding, that the Bible accounts of the resurrection, some of which you've heard today, were just made up stories, fairy tales, written many years after the event, like legends, Hercules and whoever. But historically, when you look at the detail, that doesn't hold true. Historians today, hands down, agree that these ancient documents, the Gospel, the Apostle Paul's letter, which makes up most of the New Testament, were written only 20 to 70 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. You know what? That's very, very important information. You see, these were public documents um, that were read out to the early church, some of whom, you know, publicly, some of whom will... Uh, have been non-believers in the, uh, in the congregation, a bit like this morning. And get this, because of this time frame of 20 to 7 years, these writings were written while witnesses were still alive. Not ancient legends written, written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. They were still alive. If these writers um, were telling lies, those witnesses would have grasped them up, hundreds of them. Resurrection stories wouldn't have taken off if they weren't true. That's the most likely outcome. But just imagine they did manage to fake the stories. You know what? If I'm reading the Gospels, as I have done, they did a pretty naff job. According to the Bible accounts of the resurrection story, the first people to see Jesus alive again were women. In Paul's time, don't hear, this is not a big, big statement, but I'm, I'm, this is about Paul's time. In Paul's time, women weren't even trusted to give evidence in a court. That was the culture of the day. They weren't allowed, they weren't trusted. People didn't believe them. You wouldn't have put that as a main 
witnesses of Jesus risen. Also the gospel accounts of Jesus' disciples, the next generation of esteemed church leaders across the globe. But page after page as you read the gospel, these guys are described as a bunch of terrified, skeptical jerks. You can't come up with any conclusion as you read it. But this is how it happened. They couldn't take this stuff out of the Bible. Remember, 20 to 7 years, people would have grasped them up. And think about this. Who would have made, who would have, who would have made up God going to the cross and dying as a criminal to start a revolution? Come on. That's not, do, that's not going to get you anywhere. Unless it really happened. Unless people really did see the resurrected Jesus. Secondly, some would say Jesus never really died at all. As a doctor, I've seen lots of dead people. This idea is astonishing, really, that Jesus never died. Have you seen the um, Mel Gibson film, The Passion of Christ? That would have been a very accurate portrayal of the beating that Jesus endured before he went to the cross. In fact, just from that severe beating alone, lots of people would have died there and then. But the Bible tells us he was crucified. We read in the Gospel accounts of his crucifixion that a a professional executioner, someone mentioned it earlier this morning, a professional executioner stated that he was in fact dead. And just to make sure, he stuck a spear under under Jesus' ribcage into his heart sack, causing his heart to literally burst wide open and blood and water coming out of the side. You know what? I think Jesus died. Listen, if Jesus survived all that, it would have been a miracle just as big as the resurrection. And listen, virtually all the apostles and early Christian leaders were persecuted and ultimately died for their faith. That's fact. That's history. They were homeless, beaten, hated, marginalized, and murdered. There was no incentive to make all of this stuff up. As Blaise Pascal put it, I believe in those witnesses that get their throats cut. And overnight, surprisingly, a whole new Christian worldview and belief sprang up. Belief systems sprang up immediately after Jesus' resurrection. The church was born. And now there are an estimated 37 million churches in the world today, with 50,000 new ones added every year. And all because of a hoax? You can believe that if you like. Former Chief Justice of England, Lord Darling, uh, who was an expert in weighing up the facts and evidence, concluded, in its favour as living truth, there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection story is true. I've just given you a handful of things to think about. There's loads more. Finally, so what? So what? Who cares? How does the... 
How does Jesus' resurrection make any difference to me? As the Apostle Paul put it in another letter, Philippians 3, I want to know Christ. I want to. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. There's something phenomenal in his story that affects our story. You see, we, all, we live in a fallen world, a messed up world. It doesn't take long to get to that conclusion, does it? And according to the Christian faith, the biggest problem, these are all important things, don't hear what I'm not saying, but the biggest problem isn't a financial crash, it isn't crime, it isn't poor political strategy, it isn't uh, the environment, it isn't our upbringing or the educational system. We've invested billions into that stuff over the centuries, and rightly so. But we're still in the same place. Maybe worse. We're not simply the helpless victims of psychological drives and social systems. That's what the Bible says. Very sophisticated argument. In fact, going the other way is a cop-out. It's an excuse. The Bible shockingly says sin is the root of all our fallenness and breakdown. Disobeying, disregarding, dishonoring God, our Creator. Jesus said it was what comes out of a person, it's what comes out of a person that pollutes obscenities, lusts, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, depravity, deceptive dealings, mean looks, slander, arrogance, foolishness. Hands up if you're not included. No, I am. All these are vomit from the heart, says Jesus, a heart in rebellion towards God. The problem in your face, the Bible says. The problem is me. The problem is you. We don't like that diagnosis, do we? Francis Schaeffer, a a philosopher and Bible teacher, uh, once did a little thought experiment. Just kind of hang with me for a minute. Um, Getting us to think about this diagnosis, which we don't like. And he says something like this. Imagine God puts a little invisible digital recorder. He said tape recorder, I think, in his time or whatever digital recorder around everybody's neck and the only thing that that digital recorder ever picked up or picks up is when you tell somebody else how they ought to be or how they should be living you know when you say things like probably sounds familiar you ought to do that or you should never do that i can't believe what you said suddenly when we did all if if we did if we said those things suddenly click the digital recorder starts recording throughout our life. In other words, it only records your standards of be- for behavior, your standards for people's lives. Not God's, just yours. And then as you roll on through your life with this recorder around your neck, clicking away day in, day out, you eventually come to that great day, the judgment day of the whole earth when all are standing before the throne room of Jesus. This is just a thought experiment, by the way. And Jesus says on this great day, do you know what? I'm going to be really fair to you. You have no idea how, I'm, how fair I'm going to be. This is the deal. I'm not going to judge you by my standards. I'm not going to judge you by the golden rules, the Ten Commandments, the law of God, the Bible, or the example of my life, Jesus says. No, I'm going to be really fair. I'm just going to judge you by your standards. 
And so Jesus comes up to you and he takes that little recorder off your head and you say, gosh, I didn't realize that was, that was there. And he says, it was invisible, I told you at the beginning. This is a thought experiment. And then he says, and then he says, why don't we just play it back and listen to what you said and see if you've lived up just to your own standards. And so he plays it back. And we listen. And we listen. How do you think you'd feel? Be honest. The reality would be this. Even if that's how God did his final judgment, based on only your standards, your own standards, there's not a person on the face of the earth who would stand and pass that judgment day. You know that. Our sin goes very deep. As I said earlier, in the midst of tragic loss, in the haze of my mum, um, diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 50 and dying within a few weeks, and Robin, my brother, one day deciding to gas himself um, um, in, in his car with a suicide note in his glove box, I'd suddenly lost everything. Up till then, I thought I was invincible. Subsequently, depression kicked in and a downward spiraling lifestyle of drugs, alcohol, selfish, satisfying relationships. I was out of control, a slave to bad choices, totally addicted, in a mess, sin, sin, sin. All the security and value and worth that I'd hung my very life on, status, cash, wild nights, selfish relationships, a secure medical future, suddenly became meaningless. Yet in the midst of all that turmoil, in the midst of all that calamity, quite surprising really, really, this risen Jesus, God himself, turned up. That's what we're talking about. Why on earth would he do that for a big-headed fool like me? I remember uh, one, one morning sitting in the middle of St. Michael Le Belfry, that's the baby church next to the ginormous minster in York, at what I used to call the dinosaur service because everybody was uh, over a hundred years old, not quite as young as Bill, but... <laughs> but I was sat there, quiet, and this risen Jesus showed me his love. And with tears coming down my face, he gave me a glimpse of real happiness and purpose and satisfaction. He revealed to me his spotless holiness. That he was just, that he was a just and perfect God and next to him, I wasn't. I was filthy. I was a sinner through and through. That was the diagnosis I painfully needed to hear. A heavenly manual wasn't going to cut the mustard with me. I needed a saviour. I couldn't get out of this mess on my own. And that morning, 20 years ago now, I took the biggest step of faith ever. I decided to put my life in Jesus' hands. I let go of my pride. I let go of my, I'm all right, Jack, cover up. I took his diagnosis on board and cried real tears of sorry. Sorry, will you forgive me? And in that moment of great vulnerability, it was painful for a big-headed buffoon like me. Jesus showed me his love 
like no other. Jesus showed me forgiveness for all the terrible things I had said, thought, done, wanted to do. He showed me mercy when I felt ashamed. He took, he took my place on the cross that I deserved as I walked free. Spotless, righteous, scandalous, really. You see, the cross had to happen for me. God can't shove the consequences of sin under some cosmic, cosmic carpet in the galaxy or somewhere and pretend it never happened. He is just and righteous. He's not like us. If he was, he wouldn't be worth worshipping. This beautiful saviour, God, took it all. And by sitting there, I caught a glimpse of Jesus' love for me. Bomb after bomb came crashing down on Jesus that day as he hung there in agony, forsaken, alone, taking hell into his very soul. Your hell, my hell. The cross allowed Jesus to defeat sin without defeating me. And his resurrection, his resurrection is proof and celebration and celebration of that real truth, that truth we can experience. Why? Because he's alive. If the band could come up, that would be great. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not, it's a promise, shall not perish, but have eternal life, forever life with God. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Light has come into the world. It would be foolish to let an Easter, another Easter pass. I am so grateful to God that he encountered me when I was the most furthest away from him. I was probably like you in this crowd thinking, do you really take me for a fool? But actually the Bible is really honest about that. It talks about the foolishness of God in the gospel. It talks about the foolishness of the cross. It doesn't make sense. It talks about the foolishness of resurrection. But can I say something? It's in the lives of changed people that really truth comes alive in us. Relationships are important. And the biggest relationship that God wants you in this morning is a relationship with him. Easter, tombs are for dead people. He's alive. So we're going to sing a song now. And actually, we're just, we're just going to sit. And there's some of you here this morning, there's two categories of people. One, I feel there are people, the majority of you probably, who want to see more and more of Jesus' resurrection life who you want to experience more and more of this wonderful Jesus in your life. You're struggling with things. Things are difficult. There's a whole range of issues and difficulties of life. I hear that. There's some big, big challenges 
in the way we live, in the way we think, our families, our friends, work, the whole lot. Asylum cases. But for God so loved the world that he died for you. But secondly, there are people here this morning who don't know Jesus at all. They might know about him here, but there's something different to knowing about him here. It's a life-changing experience. And it's rooted in intellectual credibility, but it's much more than that. It's a life lived out for God in all the happiness, in all the perseverance and suffering, in all the honesty of leading a life of integrity. So I'm just going to sit down now, okay, and we're going to sing a song, and I want you to listen to the words. I think we're going to have the words up on the screen.